We're going to be in Mark today, again, in the Gospel of Mark, if you're finding that in your Bible. I certainly have enjoyed and am enjoying our journey through Mark's Gospel. And um, as we are in other uh, series we're in, on Sunday evenings, we're studying about some major uh, foundational Bible doctrines. Last Sunday evening we started a series on the doctrine of angels and um, we know there are two kinds of angels. They're uh, holy angels and they're evil fallen angels and, and tonight we'll continue that series but I think it's very beneficial to know. You know the Bible says this about the devil, we're not ignorant of his devices and some people maybe are ignorant of his devices but we don't want to be. And so uh, we do that on Sunday nights. And Wednesday nights, as I said earlier, we've been studying about the Christian's relationship to government and what our role should be, what our role should not be, what does the Bible have to say about it. And so I just enjoy times that we can get into the Word of God together as a church family. And we'll do that in Mark chapter 12 uh, this morning. And we're going to begin reading in verse 12. And if you're able to stand, I'd invite you to stand with us as we honor the Word of God in our reading. Verse 12 will be the last verse of what we covered last Sunday morning. And I, I want to begin with that verse uh, today, reading. Verse 12 of Mark chapter 12 says, And they sought to lay hold on him. Talking about... Jesus, they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. So those people who were critics, those people who wanted to kill Jesus, left him and went their way. That brings us to verse 13. And they... Send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they said unto him, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? That's their question. Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he said unto them, what saith unto them, what is this image and superscription on the penny as he looked at it? They said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. As you know, this is a very busy time in Jerusalem. What we're reading about, it's the Passover celebration, a time of, of great Jewish festivity, a religious holiday, the major holidays. But this is unlike any other Passover. Because this is the Passover where Jesus has come to Jerusalem to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. But 
Beneath the surface, in the background, there's great tension that is building. The plot is thickening because these religious rulers are conspiring to find some way to put an end to Jesus. That's their goal. We've seen it week after week. We see it again today. And I want us to look at this passage and let's pray again as we get into it. Father, please help us today as we study, as we read the Word of God. Lord, we respect your Word as being from God. We receive it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. And I pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. I pray that you'd work in hearts. Help those of us, Lord, who have been born again by the grace of God to receive with meekness the engrafted word. Help those today who are, have never personally received Christ to understand the gospel today and receive your word and receive the free gift of eternal life. And we'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible tells us there in verse uh, 13 that they send unto him certain of the Pharisees. They're sending this delegation to go to see Jesus. All, these, all this is happening in the same day that we studied about last week and the week before. It's a busy time. It's in the temple area. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have converged upon Jerusalem. But when he uses that pronoun in verse 12, they, or verse 13, and they send unto him, who, who are the they? We see that same pronoun in verse 12, and they sought to lay hold, lay hold on him. In verse 12, at the last part of the verse, it says, they left him. Verse 13, they send unto him. Verse 14, and when they were come, who, who does that pronoun refer to? And it's this we, we see them every week. They're anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. These religious critics who've been stalking him. They've been stalking him, not just around Jerusalem now. They've been stalking him for years, way up in north into Galilee. They've been stalking him. Now, most people agree, undoubtedly, I think it's true, that these they, these people, are at least in part, maybe in whole, they're in conspiracy with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the religious council that governed Jewish activities. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin. That would be chief priests, elders, scribes, lawyers. Uh, it was like the Jewish Supreme Court. It was the final place of making spiritual decisions for the Jewish people. There were 70 of them, and there the 71st person would be generally the high priest. He presided over this group. They were in part referred to here in this pronoun. They've been conspiring against Jesus for so long. Verse 13 says, And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians. Let's think about that too, those two groups. By the way, this is not the only time a group will come to him. We saw it last week. We'll see it again in the weeks to come. But the Pharisees were pretty familiar with. The Pharisees were religious zealots, extremely religious Jews. They were hypocrites, though. Jesus dealt with them directly, face-to-face -face on many occasions. And uh, they, they put more stock in their own traditions than they did in the truth of the Word of God. The Herodians we know less about. 
They're not mentioned as often. Why are they called Herodians? Why would their name have to do with Herod? Herodians um, were loyal to the Herod, which was the political dynasty that ruled in Judea. North, south, different ones. Now the Herods, the ruling dynasty, the Herods were not Jews. They were politicians. But they had, to, they had to favor Rome or they couldn't rule because the Roman Empire controls the entire biggest part of the world. So even though these Herods were not Jews, they, were, they could not rule the region unless they followed Rome. Rome gave them the authority to rule. There's a bunch of them. Herod Antipas was the Herod that ordered that John the Baptist be beheaded. Herod Agrippa, later on in the book of Acts, Herod Agrippa ordered that John, the brother of James, an apostle of the Lord, that John would be beheaded. And then because it, the people, he's a politician, because the people liked the fact that John was beheaded, then Herod Agrippa arrested Peter and was going to have him killed also. And would have, would it not be the fact that God miraculously delivered him? These are the Herods. The Herods ruled the land. So why would the Herodians, who were Jews, why would the Herodians be loyal to the Herods? And it was not for spiritual reasons, it was because of political reasons. I think it's safe to say that the Herodians would prefer a Herod ruling Jerusalem and Judea over a Roman. They hated the Romans. The Jews hated the Romans. The Pharisees hated Rome. Why? Well, because these are very proud people of Israel. They considered Rome's presence to be a matter of great offense to them. The Pharisees didn't like Romans. The Pharisees didn't like the Herodians because the Herodians sided with Rome. So the Pharisees are intensely religious. The Herodians are extremely political. They, these two groups had major differences. And it had to do with Rome. and had to do with the, the uh, heritage of the Israeli people. So the Pharisees are anti-Rome. The Herodians are pro-Rome. But they had one thing in common. They both hated Jesus Christ. They both wanted him crucified or killed. And by the way, these two groups mentioned here in 13, the Pharisees and Herodians, they've been talking about this for years. I think this is worth looking at. Hold your finger here in Mark chapter 12 and go over to the left to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. This was early in the ministry of Jesus, several years earlier from where we're reading in Mark chapter 12. But in Mark chapter 3, just one verse that brings this out, it says in verse 6, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. This was three years earlier. The Pharisees and the Herodians are getting together a plan. They've had three years to work on this plan. How are we going to destroy Jesus? 
How are we going to get rid of him? You know, sometimes people who are not really familiar with their Bible, they think about Jesus and how everybody loved Jesus and Jesus was just a friend of everybody and Jesus was a friend of sinners, but a lot of people hated Jesus. Let's go back to Mark chapter 12, if we could. We see these Pharisees and Herodians coming to Jesus. And what was their purpose? Look in verse 13 again. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians. Here's the purpose to catch him in his words. So imagine this, this religious group, either entirely of the uh, Sanhedrin or in, in cooperation with the Sanhedrin, they meet together and they think about how are we going to catch Jesus in his words. Imagine having somebody following you around all the time trying to catch you in your words. Reminds me of the political scene that we're in today. Always playing gotcha. Catching us saying something we shouldn't. Their agenda was very clear. They got their wicked, evil minds together. They're plotting. They're getting a plan together to destroy Jesus. They thought they could trick him. They thought they could fool him. They thought they would catch him in his words. So what happened after that in verse of, of 14 it says, And when they were come... They say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So they're going to trick him, and the first thing they do is they try to flatter him. They call him master. Now that's a very, I believe, an intentional word. Master would be a word, a, a term of respect and honor. It was used for rabbis, the teachers, the master teachers. So these people come to Jesus to trick him, and they call him master, a word of respect. And then they said, we know that thou art true. Don't you think about the things these evil people are saying to Jesus. We know that you speak the truth. We know you're a man of integrity. We know that whatever you say is truthful. Now I want to tell you today, anybody who knows anything about these people in the Bible knows that none of that is true. They didn't believe it in the very least. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. They thought Jesus was a deceiver. But they're trying to catch him in his word. Then they said, you don't care for any man. That doesn't mean you don't have compassion for people. When you look there with me in verse 14, where it says, and carest for no man, that means you're not partial to anyone. You're not a respecter of persons. That goes on and says that virtually in verse 14. For thou regardest not the person of men. You don't, you don't bend what you believe for anybody. You say what you believe, you're honest about it. This is what these evil people are saying to Jesus. You tell the truth no matter what anybody thinks of it. They said this in verse 14, Thou teachest or teachest the way of God in truth. What you're saying is God's way. We know, Jesus, that what you're saying is God's way. I don't even know how they pull this off. Such lying, such deceit, such hypocrisy. How, do you, how sincere do you think these, these Herodians and Pharisees were? 
By the way, everything they said was true. Jesus was the master. Jesus did teach the way of God in truth. Jesus didn't change his message depending on who he was around. He said the truth all the time. The things they said were true, but they weren't saying it for the right reasons. They were saying it for deceitful reasons. We're not going to turn to it, but uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us a few details about this conversation that I think are very enlightening. I'm going to quote from Luke. He said this, They watched him, talking about watching Jesus, and sent forth spies. Luke called them spies. Sent forth spies which did feign themselves just men. The word feign means to pretend. Luke says they sent forth these spies pretending to be just men. And it goes on to say in in Luke's gospel that they might take him in his words. And please listen carefully to this next phrase because it gives us insight that we don't find anywhere else. It says this, so that they might deliver him, Jesus, unto the power and authority of the governor. Not only did they want to catch him and trick him, but they wanted to trick him in such a way to get him in trouble with the Romans that they might that they might deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. They, here's what these, these spies wanted. They wanted a reason to turn the Roman government against Jesus. That's what they're looking for. They've been following him for three years, hating him, wanting to destroy him. It's... It's just going to be a matter of hours before Jesus goes to the cross. This is crunch time. They've got to have a plan. They get together, and this is their plan to try to get the Roman government against Jesus. Now, you say, well, why would that matter? Because the Jews were not able by law to execute someone. But the Romans could execute someone. And they, want, they don't want Jesus sent out of the country. They want Jesus dead. There's only one, one satisfactory answer, and that is to kill Jesus. So how did Jesus respond? We read a moment ago in verse 15. He says, last part of verse 15, he said this. Why tempt you me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. I'm not going to read the rest of this, but in that great passage in verse 17, he says this. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now that's a great response and we're not going to deal with that response today. We're going to deal with that the next time, Lord willing. But I want us to look again because there's such an emphasis in this passage concerning these people and their motives. But look again if you would in verse 15 where it says, But he, knowing their hypocrisy... I want you to just think about that phrase today, knowing their hypocrisy. You know, these men could, could have fooled me, probably. They could have probably fooled a lot of us if they'd have come up and said, you know, this is, we know that you're, we know that Jesus is a great teacher. We know what he says is true. We know, you know, that he is not persuaded by the crowd that he's around. He's not this, he's not that. 
And we might, not, we might be tricked by that, but Jesus was not tricked by that. There's not a hint of sincerity in these wicked men. They weren't interested in the truth. They hated the truth. They were interested in tricking Jesus. And we see this as we get closer and closer to the end that their hypocrisy is in plain view. Now, I'm not going to pursue this, but, but we see this kind of hypocrisy every day. If you follow the news, if you follow media, it's amazing how hypocritical they are. And, and now that we have, now that we're blessed with social media, sometimes I think it's a blessing. Now somebody can get behind a microphone and say something and say, this is what I believe. And within minutes or hours, they'll find a video of what they said a year ago or two years ago saying something entirely different. You know why? Because they're just hypocrites. They're not sincere. They're not honest. And this is the way these people were. They were not, they were not sincere. They used, they used flattery. They didn't respect Jesus. They didn't believe in him. They just wanted him dead. Now let's think about the question. We're talking about their hypocrisy. Think about the question. Why the question about the coin? Why the question about Caesar? Remember what Luke said? They wanted to deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. So they asked him a question. This is the question they've spent a lot of time in secret trying to figure out how we're going to trick him. And this was their question. We're going to ask him, should we pay taxes? Should we, should we give our money to Caesar? Now keep in mind, try to think like you're thinking through the mind of a Jew, a, a, a native of Israel. To them, Caesar was an idolater. Not only was he a, an idolater in that he worshipped idols, he demanded worship of himself. He considered himself a god. And he's the emperor of Rome. And he's an invader into their sacred land. They despised these people. The Jews despised these people. Look at how they treated the publicans. They looked down upon the publicans. Who were the publicans? They were these corrupt, crooked tax collectors, agents of Rome. The Jewish people hated them. You know what these people are trying to do? They're trying to get Jesus to say something against Rome. Because if they can get, if they can get Rome against Jesus, they've got him dead. They're trying to trick him that Rome, if, they, if Jesus would just say, don't pay your taxes then the Romans could get him as an insurrectionist, as an enemy of Rome. That's what they're wanting to do. That the Romans would have. But you say, well, what if he didn't say, just uh, don't pay your taxes? What if he says, just pay your taxes? Then the Jews are going to turn on him. Because the Jews hate the Romans. And if you were to say, we'll talk more about that next week, but if you were to say, you know, um, support Rome, give your money to Caesar, he's going to lose the support of many Jewish followers. Either way, they've got him. If he says, don't pay your taxes, the Romans will kill him. If, they say, pay your if he says, pay your taxes, then the Jewish people are going to bail on him, those who supported him. But you know what? Jesus was not fooled. In this gotcha moment, Jesus was not fooled. 
fooled. I, I take us back to verse 15 where it says this revealing statement. He, knowing their hypocrisy. Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. Jesus knew exactly where this conversation was headed. Jesus knew, he knew about everything. He's God incarnate, Emmanuel. They may have respected him as a wise man, but they didn't respect him as the omniscient, all-knowing God. But that's who he is. Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. You know, Jesus knows things in ways we can never know. Right? He just does. He knows the heart. He knows not only what we're thinking, he knows why we're thinking it. He knows our motives. He knew everything they were doing was out, doing was out of insincerity. He could see things nobody else could see. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, it was several years ago, there was only one superhero, Superman, Clark Kent. And he had a lot of abilities that nobody else had. And one ability he had was x-ray vision. He could see through physical objects. He could see through things. Well, I want you to know today that Jesus can see through things. These people underestimated who they were talking to because he knew their conversations, he knew their plan, and he, could, he knew their hypocrisy. And may I say to you today that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows me better than I know myself. He knows me. He can see through us. You know, sometimes we can act like we're one thing around somebody when really we know that's not how we really feel. And we can get away with it. We can get away with it. But Jesus sees it. He knows us. He sees right through us. It says this in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, about Jesus. Think about this. He needed not that any man should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You know, you could come up to a person and say, hey, can I tell you something about this person that I know? But you know what? Jesus didn't need that because he knows everything. Everything about everyone. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing in the political world of today? I didn't plan on saying this, but I just think it needs to be said. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing in the political world today if all of a sudden, instantly, every politician and every journalist, every media person would begin to say things based on this reality that I'm going to say exactly what's true because God knows what's true anyway. Wouldn't that, that would change the world, wouldn't it? Knowing their hypocrisy. I want us to think about that for the last few minutes that we have. You know, again, Luke said about these spies, they, they did feign themselves 
just, J-U-S, not just like only, but just like people of integrity, honesty, truthfulness. They did feign themselves just men. That, that means they were pretending, they were pretending like they were honest. When in reality, they weren't honest at all. You know, tonight as we talk about the characteristics, some of the characteristics of the devil and demons and devils, one thing that's a trademark, it's like a, a fingerprint of the devil is he's a liar. He's a liar. He, he, you can't trust anything he says. He always tells something that's false. And that's the way these people were. They acted like they were honest men when in reality they were not. Now, a person could say, well, you know, pastor... You know, I understand talking about hypocrisy related to the Herodians and hypocrisy related to the Pharisees or the scribes or the elders or the chief priests because they were all hypocrites. But why would we need to think about that? Because I believe all of us can be hypocritical. I think the best of us the most holy of us, the most sincere of us can still have this temptation or this tendency to act like something's one way when in reality it's another way. I think hypocrisy is a very dangerous sin. Number one, it's an attempt to deceive other people. To act like something is so when it's not so. To act like it's one way when it's another way. But there's something more dangerous even than that. And you know what that is? It's when we're not even honest about ourselves. To ourselves. We deceive ourselves. You say, well, nobody can deceive themselves. You know, people who are magicians or people can use sleight of hand. They can make things appear to be one thing when they're not. But not, they, surely they could never deceive themselves. A hypocrite can deceive himself. That's what James said in James chapter 2. Listen to these words. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's what the Bible says. James says in the book of James, he warns us, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Because if you're just a hearer and not a doer, you can deceive yourself. And you know, it's really true. Because we hear things and we know things and we, we agree with things. We think that that's really what we are. But Jesus says, the, way, the Bible says the only way you can really know is not by what you say or what you think, but what are you actually doing. And he says if we hear things but we don't do it, we're deceiving ourselves. I think that happens in churches a lot. We hear things, we hear it, we know it, we can repeat it. But we don't take it serious enough to do anything about it. And we go away thinking, you know, I'm okay because I've given assent to this. In reality, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. I really had an enjoyable time. My wife and I did yesterday. We hosted uh, about 20 people at our house for uh, teen activity. And during that teen activity... Uh, I was, gave a devotion about a 
about chastisement. I said, I know this is something every teenager loves to know about and think about, and that's chastisement. <laughs> and I asked him to, about giving us ideas about chastisement. And have you ever been chastened? They said, oh, yeah, you know, you, there could be times when I have to stand in the corner or times when, you know, we have to be um, grounded from certain things. And some of them, I won't tell you says, sometimes we get a spanking. I said, I'm going to report you. No. But then I talked to him about this. About how God says, every one of his children that he loves, and he loves every one of his children, that every one of his children, he chastens them. And then I asked him this, could, could you tell me about a time in your life as a Christian when you know that God chastened you for your sin. And most of them couldn't think of anything. And you know what the Bible says? If you don't have chastisement, you're not a child of God. Not chastisement from mom or dad, but chastisement from God. If God does not chasten you, the Bible says you're not a child of God. That's true. I say, you say, why do you say that now? Because we can deceive ourselves sometimes. Because we know who Jesus is. Jesus died for us. Jesus loves us. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus raised from the dead. We can say all this stuff, and yet maybe we don't even have a real experiential relationship with God. It's just, it's all information, but without reality. Wouldn't it be a sad thing to sit in church, be raised in a Christian home, be able to talk the language and answer the questions and parrot what other people say and yet, and yet be deceiving ourselves that we're really not saved? Wouldn't that be a horrible thing? Deception is a horrible thing. And the Bible says not only is deception... In the case of the Pharisees, they were trying to trick God and sometimes maybe trying to trick other people, but we can even fool ourselves into believing that we really believe God's truth when really all we're doing is listening to it. When I read this, these stories about the Pharisees and the Herodians, I'll tell you, I hate their hypocrisy. Didn't fool Jesus. But I hate to see that. When I look at politicians, and I see it a lot. People saying they believe something today and they didn't. But they believe something different. When it was politically expedient to believe something different. I hate hypocrisy. But you know why I really hate hypocrisy? When I see it in my own life. Not being sincere. Not being as honest as I should have been. And I want to say to you today, hypocrisy can reside in any of us. And there is such a need today in this world, not in this room alone, but in this world, there's such a need in front of our families 
before our spouses, before our children, before our parents. There is such a need for honesty and transparency. To be honest, first of all, be honest with God. Be honest with God. You can't fool Him anyway. Don't you understand that when you and I stand before God one of these days, we can't fool Him at all. He reads us like a book. But not only be honest with God, be honest with others. One of the things that I, one of the memories I hate about myself when I was a teenager was how I lied to people. I lied to my mother. I lied to different people in authority. I was just a liar. I hate that about myself. And it ought to trouble any one of us when we catch ourselves saying things that are not true, leading people to believe something that's not true. We ought to be honest with God. We ought to be honest with ourselves. We ought to be honest with, be honest with yourself. Quit tricking yourself into thinking you're something when in reality you know that's not really who you are. These men were phonies. They were pretenders. They were actors. You know, one of the hardest things sometimes we ever do is take an honest, transparent, sincere look at ourselves. But you know what? It's good for us. It's good for us. You may be here today, and if you really look inside yourself, you're thinking, if you'd be honest, say, I don't even know if I know the Lord. I don't know if, I, if, he, if, if I'm really a child of God. I don't know if God is really my father. You know, one thing I told you teenagers last night, I'm not, I had a lot of whoopings in my life, and this was true of every whooping I ever got. I knew it when I got it. If God's ever chastised you, you probably know it. And if you don't know it, maybe you've never had it. I'm not trying to make people doubt. I'm just saying, we need to be honest with ourselves. Do I really know the Lord? And if not, we ought to be willing to come to God and say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go another moment, another day, without being painfully honest and transparent. And that may include talking to someone and saying, you know, I need somebody to help me and pray with me and help me work through this. We're not here to put people down or make people afraid. We're here to help people. Or maybe you're here today and you say, well, I know I'm saved. I, Jesus has changed my life. I, there's no doubt in my mind. I've been born again. But you know, even we, as James said, we can struggle with hypocrisy in our own hearts. And you know what matters most? It's not what friends think, or it matters what God thinks, what God knows. It'd be a great day. Just say, Lord, I want you to search me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to pray in just a moment. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you be willing right where you sit today to say, God, I want to take the mask off. I'm going to quit trying to look like and act like something I know I'm not. God, I want to be sincere and honest. Would you you do that? Sometimes I think we're afraid to do that. Maybe today you need somebody to talk with you or pray with you. We're here to do that. I'm going to be standing here at the front here in a moment. Maybe you could just come up and say, Preacher, could someone pray with me and help me? I I want to get this thing right. Maybe you need to be saved. You know it. You ought to come. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. And there's so much in this passage that deserves our attention. But Lord, I've just been drawn to this matter of the fact that you knew how hypocritical they were and how you know us. On one side, that's a very comforting thought. But on the other side, it can be a very concerning thought. Father, would you work in hearts today?